Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. This is Carice Hendrick. So I know that there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast and also just that are fraud fighters in general who are looking for a new opportunity. It might be because you were recently laid off or your colleagues were laid off and or you're just not feeling a lot of job security right now. It may be because you feel like you've kind of reached a ceiling and you may not get more pay or more responsibilities or more of a promotion if you stay where you're at. Could be for a lot of reasons. Whether you are currently employed or unemployed, honestly think almost everyone in the fraud prevention industry at least has half of an eye open (laughs) to new jobs, but lots of people are actively looking and applying and trying to put their best foot forward. And then similarly, I talked to fraud hiring managers who have similar frustrations where they say, I'm having a really hard time being able to identify the people who stand out or the right candidate for the position, especially because so many more people are applying than ever before. And some people aren't even qualified at all. And there's a lot of times where people that have never been fraud prevention before will apply for a fraud director role. That's just kind of wasting everyone's time. It wastes the person's time who applied for the position and who may be hoping for a callback. And it definitely wastes the hiring manager and the recruiter's time in trying to wade through those. So what I thought I would do, and I'm hoping to have at least one hiring manager who has had a lot of open positions on their team recently because of restructuring and just their business is growing very quickly. I had a really good conversation with them last week, and I'm hoping to have them come on the podcast for an interview soon. We have to go through an approval process with their comms team. That's nothing new for me. So hopefully we'll get through that. But in the meantime, I've written down some tips and suggestions that I have for people who are looking for a new role. Either next week or the week after, I will put together some suggestions that I have written on all different types of pieces of paper around here from hiring managers on what they look for and how they identify great candidates. Because I think that for those of you who are also hiring managers, that might be helpful. For instance, I posted a question on LinkedIn a couple weeks ago on behalf of a large enterprise merchant. What kind of questions do people ask to be able to identify or get an example of a candidate's critical thinking and their ability to ask questions and and try to solve a problem? So that's more what I mean is tips from hiring managers for other hiring managers. But on this episode, I really wanted to just focus on some tips and suggestions for people that are looking for a new role. I think, you know, some of these are general. A lot of them are specific to fraud prevention. Some of them might seem like common sense to you, but I know that there are other tips in here that I honestly hadn't really thought about much until the recent conversations I had with people. So it's kind of similar actually to vendors and merchants and those episodes I've done before. And yes, there is another one coming soon. It's in my head. I just have to get it out of my head onto paper and then from paper to the podcast. You know, it's where there's 
two different groups of people that both need or want help from the other person or at least information from the other person. But it seems like they're talking a different language or they have very different expectations or they're not meeting in the middle. So whether that's a merchant and a vendor or a job seeker and a hiring manager, I feel like one of the really lucky things about this 10,000 foot view that I have of the industry is I get to talk to both sides and then try to help be a conduit of information to those of you to kind of understand the other perspective and hopefully be more successful in your communications with that other side. So I've separated these tips up into three different sections. One is around when deciding, you know, where to apply and what job to apply for. The other is around resume specific tips and suggestions. And then the third is about using LinkedIn and just overall networking to help look for a job or just build your network and using it to your advantage in a way that's going to be productive. Anyone can reach out to a hiring manager and say, please give me a job or I applied for the position. Please look for the application. Is that effective? Question mark. Is that as effective as other things that you can do to stand out and get on their radar without seeming like you're expecting something from them, someone that you've never met before? So let's first go with when you're deciding where to apply and what to apply for. I kind of hinted at this just a minute or two ago, but I think it's important not to apply for anything and everything that you might qualify for. I think that at least take a step back, you know, research the company, right? Is it a company that you want to work for? Are they in a location that you can relocate to or that you're in now? Or do they offer remote or hybrid? Or what's that like? Because that's new for since 2021. So that's fairly new looking up that piece. As well as when you read through the job description, can you see yourself doing the job and enjoying it? Because something I have to remind myself of is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. I remind myself of that regularly to the point where I've joked I'm going to get it tattooed on my forearm because I want to do all the things. And as a multi-passionate entrepreneur, which I'm using quotation marks, but you can't see me, it's kind of an overused phrase in like the business owner realm. But it's hard for me sometimes really focus on the things I, I want to do. And yes, it is a point of privilege to be able to do what you want to do. But if you're already in a situation where you're looking for something new, why not look for a job that you're going to enjoy and that you're going to put your best foot forward in? Because then you're going to be that rock star employee. You're going to give the best to your employer, as well as hopefully be happier all around because you're enjoying what you're doing. If you haven't done some reflection on what do I want to do? Not just what can I do, but what do I want to do? Do I love investigations? Do I love management? Do I love analytics? Do I love product management? What are some things that I've done before that could kind of transfer into one of those things? Do I love working for a bank? Do I want to work for a fintech? Do I want to work for a established company or a startup? Or maybe a startup at a specific place in their growth. So maybe I want to wait until they've closed their B round so that I know that they have customers and they have investors that are really heavily invested in it and want to see it you know, go long term. Just those asking yourself those types of questions can be really helpful. And I often recommend the book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Not a relation to me. I do not have an S at the end of my last name, but there's a lot of good exercises in that book, as well as just some good theories about when you're trying to level up. 
some of the things that can come up in life and all of that. So it's a good book to kind of test out. I know there's other resources out there too, but I think it's just important not to apply for anything and everything because obviously then you're going to kind of muck up the system. I was talking to one hiring manager last week who said that prior to the last year or so, they'd get about 200 applications and resumes for each open position. And maybe about like 30 to 40% wouldn't be qualified at all. But then they'd, you know, whittle it down from there. Now it's been over a thousand applications for each job. And that's just not even manageable for their, you know, recruiting team and the whole process. And I'm not saying that that process isn't broken at a lot of companies because it really is, especially, you know, those that rely on keywords and all of that, but at least something, right? So if you are not contributing to more noise and if you are applying to the positions that you know you think you are qualified for, but also that you will enjoy, hopefully that will help a little bit with that systemic issue. But all it's more so that advice is also for you too, right? Because you're putting out energy in the world. You know, you're putting energy into applying for that position and doing it in the format that that specific company needs. And then you're thinking, oh, I applied for X number of jobs and I haven't gotten any calls back. So all of that, it's a waste of your time and energy just as much as it is the company that you're applying to. So it's not just because I'm like, ah, save the hiring managers. No, it's for you as well. You know, make sure that you are qualified, but it's not that you need to have every single qualification on a job description. And I am saying that primarily for female fraud fighters. And it's scientifically proven through a Harvard study that the majority of women will only apply for positions where they meet every single one of the qualifications. Whereas men, sometimes it's like 20% of the qualifications. And that's that has a lot more to do with the way that boys and girls are raised and society and all of that than actually gender. And that's a whole other long conversation and another topic for podcasts. But you know, I think it's important to know that a lot of women are, and I can speak from my own experience, raised to think that we're not good enough or that we need to be small and not take up space and be braggadocious or whatever, and that we aren't qualified for things and we have imposter syndrome. To anyone who can relate to what I just shared, I would say when you're looking through a job description, kind of play the 60-40 rule or the 70-30 rule, right? You want a role that you can grow into. And most job descriptions are a form of a wish list. That's not to say that there aren't some things that are requirements. Pay attention to the requirements, but the nice-to-haves, the qualifications, the history, the background doesn't have to be a one-to-one. -one. There's a lot of transferable skills that can meet the qualifications. Despite there being a high number of applications per position, there are several hiring managers who say they still don't feel like they're getting the right quality or the right people. And some of that might be in how they you know, write the job description, how their company promotes it, etc. But, you know, they want to see someone who has passion and who wants to do that role and who's done it before, but who's not going to come in as a know-it-all and, you know, kind of steamroll everything and say, this is the way things were done before and I know everything. So finding that middle ground is important for both the job seeker as well as the hiring manager. And oftentimes the hiring manager will know which requirements are a must-have versus a nice-to-have and the recruiter should as well. So just know that kind of finding that balance between not applying for things that you're totally not qualified for, but also not thinking that you have to meet every single one of those word for word in order to finding that happy balance. Look up salaries and employee reviews on Glassdoor. 
I am actually surprised, especially in front. You guys, we should be really good at OSINT, right? The open source intelligence. We should be good at research and Google and all of that. And I've been surprised at how many people haven't looked at Glassdoor until like after they apply and they're already interviewing. And then they're like, wow, 60% of these employees really have bad things to say or they're pretty consistent. And yeah, the bigger the company, the harder it is to know if that's going to be everyone's experience or if that was, you know, from a few years ago. And, and you know, use context clues, obviously, because there are some departments that are getting a little more toxic than others, etc. I think that's important to know. And oftentimes Glassdoor will have salary as well. More companies are posting salary ranges on the applications, especially because Colorado, of all things, in the U.S. anyways, has some kind of a rule where you have to have, you have to post the salary information. I apologize, guys. I don't actually know what the rule is word for word, but I know that that's the case. So look for it up. Make sure it's something that's desirable for you and that will work for you. You know, are you already connected with someone that works there? If so, reach out and ask about the culture and the environment. Maybe they'll tell you more if you get on the phone call. So you could offer to quote unquote, buy them a coffee, like buy them a Starbucks gift card for 15 minutes of their time. Be respectful of their time, but ask them questions rather than just saying, hey, I noticed you work at this company. Can you put in a good word or can you provide a recommendation? You know, unless you know that person really well. I think that's something that can be a big turnoff with LinkedIn is if people are constantly reaching out to others who they don't know asking for something in return. It shouldn't be, you know, what can you do for me? But it should be, well, what can I do for you? But asking questions, wanting to learn more shows that you are being thoughtful about where you work and that you're being selective. And that's important, right? Looking for a job is similar to dating. You don't want to seem desperate. So making it clear that you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you throughout this process and that you want to know that their work culture and all the things that go around it are up to your standards, not snobby standards, but you know, that you're doing your due diligence, I think is a really good thing and reflects the type of person that often a lot of these roles require is asking for more information, being curious, wanting to learn, wanting to help, all of those things. So once you have found a company or several or a job description or several to apply to, there are just a few tips that have come up in conversations I've had with people that are hiring as well as just my own experience from hiring people as well. And, you know, the truth is that this is a different reality than it's been before, where there seems to be a lot more people looking for jobs than there have been in our industry. Robert and I talked about it a while ago, but how the previous economic downturn seemed to really impact the real estate market the most in the U.S. as well as the U.K. and other areas. It sure seems like this economic downturn is impacting the tech world the most. FinTech as well as e-commerce and other areas. And so we're feeling it. So because there are just so many more people applying for the same roles, it's important to find a way to stand out. Not necessarily by having a super like graphic resume and having it look really nice. I've actually read some tips from recruiters and other people that post on LinkedIn that oftentimes those beautiful resumes done in Canva or other software can often not be read by the automatic resume screening services. So having it maybe look boring, but have the contents in it pop is something that I think is really important. 
It's also important to get to put yourself in the person who's doing the hiring's shoes as well as the recruiter's shoes, knowing that they might have a full two minutes to look at your resume. It may not be fair, but it's the reality. Being able to have what you want them to see in that quick glance and knowing where their eyes will go. There's actually like a whole science about it for food menus, but I don't know, maybe it's similar for resumes, but having where you've worked and some of your bigger accomplishments highlighted and you can do things like bold or italics or bullet points, et cetera, to try to pull things out. Just know that you're looking for, you need to stand out a little bit more above the rest. So one of the biggest things that came up recently when I was talking to a hiring manager that the same one I mentioned previously where they've had several positions open and they noticed that there are, you know, a lot of people from the same previous employer applying for the same jobs. Makes perfect sense, especially when there have been some pretty big layoffs within fraud and anti-money laundering areas of some large organizations that people will probably apply for the same positions, especially if location isn't an issue or isn't a problem where it can be remote in Europe or remote in the U.S. and remote in Canada or North America, whatever the parameters are for each company where they're all applying for the same job. And what this person said was it was really hard because a lot of them would just put what their job duties were from their last job description and they'd all be the same. They'd all have the same title. How can they know the difference between this resume and that resume when both have had 10 years experience at the same employer at the same level? And so what he had really highlighted was, you know, I want to not just know what their duties were, but I want to know what they did above and beyond. What were projects that they took on or how can they show that they had made initiative or how can they stand out over the other people that may have had a similar role as them? Because unfortunately, while you were all co-workers and team members at your previous company, now you're kind of competing against each other for the same roles. So I think that that's something really worth thinking through. If you are able to, I think it is a good idea to hire someone to help you with your resume if you can. If not, I know of a few people, especially women, because again, we often struggle with bragging or highlighting our own accomplishments where there might be, you know, two female coworkers. And I know of a couple different situations of this. So I know a few of you listen, so know that I'm not just thinking of you. There are others as well who will maybe say, hey, why don't you take a stab at my resume and I'll take a stab at yours and then we'll switch. <laughs> but I think the best practice is hiring someone who writes resumes for a living. And I would, someone who has a lot of experience in the tech world, who understands things like product management and analytics and engineering and those pieces, as well as the impact to the business. So you're not just saying that you saved X, you're saying you improved conversion or you helped reduce false positives to increase transaction amounts, things like that, so that you actually are saying not just the, you know, what you did, but the impact of it. And again, not just listing like what your job duties are from a job description. What did you do on a daily basis? What did you love? Highlight the things that you loved, right? If you had several different duties as an analyst, but the piece that you love the most was investigations and you're now applying for an investigations role, I would highlight those, right? Any kind of accommodations or achievements that you received or accolades within your company. I know several trust and safety teams or fraud teams have analysts of the quarter or whatever else, like highlight that. Just whatever, you know, again, what stands you up, any projects, your special area of focus, any way to really demonstrate your value and your initiative. One example I thought of back 
in the day when I was helped build a fraud department. One of the things I did was work with engineering to create a fraud detection system that was customized to our unique business model. So that would be the what, and then the outcome is that customized fraud screening tool then was responsible for reducing fraud chargebacks by 98% and all the way down the line. So as well as, you know, dollar value, if you have it, and I know that not everyone can quantify your position, try to think of a way that you can, or at least was part of the team that did this or whatever, but led the team or did extra here, right? Not just kind of check the box and copy and paste from your last job description. Unfortunately, that's that may have worked before. Doesn't work now. I also suggest having a few versions of your resume, depending on the role or the industry vertical that you're applying for. So for instance, sometimes joke that I am bilingual in payments and fraud. There was a time in my career when I was applying for positions where I could do both payments or fraud. So I would have two different resumes. I mean, they're both absolutely true, but one has a little more fraud bend than the other. Similarly, I used to work for a payment processor, but then I worked for a merchant. If I was applying for one payment processing fraud or risk job or payments job and one merchant role, I would want those to be different because they're going to have different qualifications and, and different parts of my experience to highlight, whether that's, you know, retail versus digital, whether that's banking versus fintech, whether that's lending versus issuing, whatever it is, having a few different versions of those. And then you can kind of customize them a little bit to each job description, but not, you know, a ton. Sometimes if you don't know how to highlight or talk about your experience, it is helpful to look at job descriptions to know how people are phrasing different things. So put it in your own words while using those keywords that are more than likely going to be used, right? So you can look through the job description and know that if they say SQL experience is required, they're going to be looking for SQL experience on your resume, probably through the automated system. That's just one example. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, 
and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. Google has this method that they call the, I think it's the XYZ Google interview method. And now here I'm Googling it now because I forgot. I forgot to pull it up before, but I read this in somebody's post the other day and I thought that that was a really good tip. So Google suggests that people who apply for their positions use an XYZ formula. And this comes from Google recruiters. So they describe it as stating, I accomplished X as measured by Y by doing Z. So I, you know, accomplished reducing chargebacks by 98% as measured by the percentage of chargebacks to total transactions by implementing systems and processes and a team, et cetera. That's just one example I'm pulling off the top of my head. Something you can easily Google, obviously, I just Googled XYZ Google interview method and it popped right up or the format so to speak. So that's one way of doing it. There are other ways of doing that, but making sure that you're able to really convey in a quick and easy way why you should be hired over the 999 other people who applied to the same position. That might sound daunting, but it's certainly not impossible. And it's something that the more you improve on being able to talk about the accomplishments you've had and quantify them and show the impact and the value, the better you'll be. Even when you're not looking for a job, but you are speaking at a conference or something else, having that quick wins in your head can be very helpful and, you know, lead to confidence as well. Highlight and make clear your transferable skills. For instance, if you did investigations in a specific industry, so if you did investigations in the banking industry and now you're applying for an investigation position in e-commerce or mortgage or lending or whatever it is, you may not need to say I used this system and that system and that system specifically, but you can say, you know, that you use open source tools as well as internal tools to investigate instances of fraud where da 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 da. And then what was the outcome of those? So highlighting the core skill rather than the details to make it really specific to that industry is something that I really recommend. I have seen that many times on resumes where people will list all of the individual systems that they use. That's not as applicable as the fact that you can use internal and external fraud screening tools or verification tools. So I wouldn't necessarily pigeonhole you into a box, but making it a little bit broad, unless it says in the job description that it would be something maybe not required, but that it would be nice to have, you know, experience with XYZ verification tool. And if you have that experience, then highlight it for sure. But if it's not mentioned in the job description, they just want to know that it's a skill that you can do, right? You can learn those individual tools. They're all fairly similar. But have you used one of them and do you understand how to use it and what to look for and how to do it quickly and all of that? That is what really people are looking for. Any achievement, like I mentioned, internal or industry awards. I personally don't think we have enough industry awards, but I love that I was able to work with Card Not Present 
and the CMP Summit to have at least one Merchant of the Year award. Two of my favorite Fred Fridayers have won in the past, independent of me, and that can be great to highlight. As well as if you've spoken at industry conferences or you've even presented internally to your senior leadership or created an initiative to educate other departments on fraud or anything like that. If you've been on a podcast, that can be a bullet point on your resume, right? Certificates are helpful if they're applicable. Unfortunately, in online fraud, there aren't a lot of certifications. I know there's a fairly new one and there's some others as well, but they're not as required unless it says so in the job description. Again, they're not as needed, but they certainly can be helpful and I would add them. But where you put them on your resume depends on how applicable they are to the job in my suggestions. I've always thought it was good to include a few soft skills. I don't know if that's necessarily required, but especially if it's relevant to the position. So I think most fraud fighters have, you know, strong curiosity and customer empathy and relentless problem solver. But if you're going for a management position, maybe highlight something that you did as a manager that was different or had you stick out or something around that realm that demonstrates that you've done this and that you can do it again and you can do it even better within their company. Basically, all I'm saying on this, as far as your resume goes, is spend some time on it. I know it's probably everyone's least favorite thing to do. It's one of my least favorite things to do. It's the way that you get your foot in the door. So for that note, I think it is important to spend some time on it and try to look at it from a different perspective, not just your own perspective. But if you are hiring for this position, what will be most important for you? Where does your eye go first? Maybe you have a friend or someone else take a look at your resume and someone that you trust to give honest but compassionate feedback and productive feedback so that you can really improve and try to, you know, make sure that you're putting your best foot forward so that you do get that first interview and then it goes from there. But your resume is what's going to follow or you will follow your resume, right? So the recruiter will look at your resume and decide to call you. If they think that you're a good fit, they'll send it to the hiring manager. If there are multiple people within an organization that will be interviewing you, they will all get a copy of your resume. So it is worth spending time on and making sure that you are conveying the reason why you should be hired and why you would make their team better. And that at the end of the day is just what we're all trying to do in a resume. But I think that sometimes we get wrapped up in just the, oh, I need to check the box. Oh, I just need to have something. But I do think that these days with how competitive things are, it's more important than ever to make sure that you are standing out. But also make sure that you're being extremely truthful because this is a very small industry. And if the hiring manager doesn't know who you are, chances are they know someone who does know who you are and will reach out. So make sure that, you know, you're not overinflating your resume or taking credit for things that other people have done. That can also be, especially if you're being, I've heard a couple, sorry, I'm getting a little bit off track, but I've heard a couple of horror stories of people who kind of started, it became apparent in the interview that they were taking credit for a team project, right? Like there was a big project that happened. And they said they did everything, but then in the interview, they can't really answer any questions about it. Mm. So be truthful, 
but make sure that you're highlighting the positive aspects. The last part that I think is really key to landing that new job is utilizing LinkedIn. Of course, I'm biased because I utilize it often, but it has been something that, I mean, I wouldn't know half the people or have half or even a quarter of the opportunities I've had if it wasn't for LinkedIn. And I do find that there is a really good community and people do want to help each other. But I think that there's a way to go about it. And then there's a way to maybe not when you reach out, maybe you won't get an answer or it won't be a positive one. So these are just my suggestions on this. I think the very first thing you should do is update your profile and give more context to who you are. So your resume is more like what you've done and, and what's different. Your LinkedIn can be a tiny bit more personal and you know that they'll be looking at that. So important to kind of spruce it up. I say that as someone who has not updated my profile in three years. So do as I say, not as I do. You know, make sure that you've flagged the open for work on your profile to be seen by recruiters. That is not just putting the filter that has the little green circle around your picture, actually going into your profile. And I don't know exactly how to do it, but I know you can just look up in the LinkedIn help how to be open for recruiters. But recruiters and you know whether they are internal to the company or external headhunters, so to speak, or whatever, they often will pay for a special type of LinkedIn that allows them to search by what people have experience doing or what they're looking for. And sometimes it's not turned on and you don't realize it or you don't have the right keywords in your headline, which is the next point. Your headline should say the type of job that you already have or that you want. So senior fraud analyst or experienced product manager with fraud prevention technology focus or something like that in the title, because actually those words are searchable for recruiters and other people. If you have a ninja or a rock star or something like that in your title, and definitely there's a few people that are coming to mind, but I'm not going to call you out. But you know, and I understand why people do that. But if you are actively looking for a job, you should probably want to have fraud or trust and safety or whatever the area or what the recruiters will be searching for in your headline, that will be very helpful. And if some people prefer to do X, you know, whatever the company is that you worked at, obviously that kind of depends on how well it's known. But I would certainly start with what your work experience is or what you're looking for. Recruiters won't be searching for a fraudster busting ninja with superpowers that's a rock star. I just wrote down a whole bunch of random terms I've seen to put together just trying to be kind of silly. But <laughs> I think you guys get the point. And that's something that, you know, we see other people doing and like, oh, okay, yeah, that's the way it should be. But again, if you're actively looking for a job, it should have the keywords in it for the positions that you're looking for. It can be helpful to connect with recruiters at companies that you're interested in working with or at least follow them so that when they post a job or anything else, you can see it. You can also kind of get to understand the company a little bit better if they're actively posting. I, whenever you connect with someone, do remember that they see everything that you do, which I think can actually be a really good thing. There's several people that I'll kind of just not forget about, but they're just not top of mind. And then I'll see them in my feed is that they commented on something that was really thoughtful or they posted something or they, you know, whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Likewise, sometimes I will see things that people comment underneath posts that I'm like, Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure that's really, you know, whether it's political or it's sexist or racist or other things like that. So be aware of what you're posting, especially as you're active on that, both good and bad. You know, it's you're not just writing it to one person. You're writing it on a wall, so to speak, with your name on it. So just think that through. 
But on that note, I think it's really important, whether you're looking for a job or not, but especially if you are in the market, to contribute to conversations about fraud or about your area of expertise. So there's a lot of good conversations about product management. Go find thought leaders on product management that post about that and be commenting because not only will the people who are connected with you see that, but also when recruiters or hiring managers go to your LinkedIn page and look at you, they'll see your past activity and they'll see, oh, they're engaged. They really, they're adding their thoughts. They're adding their own perspective or experience on this topic. Interesting. I think it's great to post if you're comfortable about things. You can post about previous experiences. You can post how you got into fraud. You can post different specific types of fraud that you've learned, whatever you're comfortable doing. Other people will post articles, which I really appreciate because I'm not always looking at various news sources for articles. So sometimes articles about fraud or payments or, you know, whatever you're looking at. I wouldn't say post every day, but just enough to kind of, you know, keep bringing yourself up at top of mind to people's feeds, as well as having activity on your on your profile page when people go visit it. It's great to like and react to post. And often I do that as well, but that's not the same and not the same engagement and not as many people see it as if you're commenting or posting. So find what you're comfortable talking about. I would love to see so many more people talking about fraud prevention on LinkedIn. I've certainly seen a few new faces, but I'd love to see more because, again, we all have different perspectives on this. And I think we all can provide value and finding that sweet spot, even if it's just while you're looking for a job or if you keep it up throughout, you'll never know what kind of activity or opportunities will come your way as you you know, just put a name to a face and a little bit of thought behind your perspective and your experiences, et cetera. Whether, again, whether it's in a comment or it's a post, whatever you're comfortable with, maybe start out with the training wheels and just play a few comments on things that something I post or Frank McKenna or anyone that's posting within the fraud realm or banking or payments or wherever you are looking for in the vertical, join the conversation. That's another way for people to get to know you without really not hassling them, submitting your resume, right? So if they see your name in LinkedIn and they see your resume and something else, then it's becoming top of mind again. I suggest asking former coworkers for references on LinkedIn. Endorsements for skills are nice, but referrals are often better, or recommendations, I should say. And if you want to request one specifically, there's a way in LinkedIn to actually send a request for a recommendation to that person. But Better yet, you can provide a reference to that former coworker and let them return the favor. If they reach out and say, wow, thanks so much, that made my day. You can say, hey, if you happen to have a minute, I'd love for you to do the same thing. And sometimes it helps to provide a little bit of guidance. Like, hey, remember that project we worked on three years ago and how I helped you do X, Y, Z? Well, I'd really love for you to highlight that in there if it's not too much trouble. Like something like that. That can be very helpful. I think the biggest things about like reaching out to people on LinkedIn that I often say is you should always be providing value. I get a lot of messages asking me for favors. And that doesn't mean that I don't want to help people. I want to help all the people. I mean, gosh, I think that's why I broke my toe last week because I want to help everyone and do everything. And I was just running myself ragged and stretched too thin. I think the universe was telling me to slow down, which it's been three days and here I am working. So you tell me how good that's working. But I also know that it is important to, I have to prioritize, right? Because I sometimes get like 70, 80, 100 messages a week. And if I could, I would reply to all of them thoughtfully 
really, but I can't. And I will tell you that the people who I haven't heard from in six years, but who are now asking me for a favor to introduce them to the hiring manager of so-and-so or write them a recommendation or tell them about any jobs that I find out about or hop on a phone call for 30 minutes, I have to prioritize it. So the people who have reached out to me and said, hey, I'm seeing this weird trend, I'm curious, whatever that is, those are usually the people that I will respond to faster. And I don't know, maybe I sound like a jerk, but I think that's the way most people are. And I don't think that it's good to reach out directly to the hiring manager if you don't already have a, a relationship with them. That might, you know, other people might have different advice and I say, do what you feel is best. But I think just reaching out to a hiring manager and saying, hey, I know that you have this job open and I applied, that's asking them for something. But if you said, hey, you know what? I noticed that you have this need. I have this experience, I've experienced, et cetera. Or even better yet, I would just say, hey, you know what? I'd, I'd love to follow you or connect with you or something like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving the best clearest advice on that one. But I just think tread lightly when you're doing that. Keep in mind that a lot of people are reaching out to the hiring manager. Hiring managers do not have time to respond to all of them. Some of them love it. Others, I would say most of them are like, that's really nice, but I just don't have the time to go through the regular channel. So just kind of use some caution there. If you are connected with somebody who works at that company, like I mentioned, you can reach out and say, hey, I applied for a position for this job title. Curious to know your experiences. And they might say, hey, I can put a negative word for you. Or they might get, you know, a referral, like a little bonus if they recommend someone. So you never know, but I just wouldn't come out and say, can you put in a good word for me? That also can be very awkward. I've had a few people ask me for recommendations who I don't know, and I don't feel comfortable doing that. So keep in mind what you're asking of people and try to offer more value than you get back. It will be no, or than you're requesting. It will be noticed. Unfortunately, not a lot of people do that. So that's something, another way to stand out. So those are just a few tips. This next Tuesday's interview episode is going to be a little different and on a similar topic. I got to interview as someone who was recently laid off in the fraud industry, and I've been really impressed by how they've handled it as well as what they're doing in addition to applying for jobs by utilizing LinkedIn in a unique way, as well as trying to learn more and identify transferable skills from the one area of fraud that they were in to other areas that they want to branch out in, areas that maybe a little bit more secure. So if you've been laid off recently and you would just love to hear someone else's experience similar to yours or maybe pick up some advice or if you are a fraud fighter as well who's interested the first half of the interview we talked a lot about the type of fraud that she saw in mortgages and lending and then the second half we talk about what it was like to be laid off after being at the same company for nine years that's stuff that i know a lot of you guys are going through and i have nothing but the most empathy for you and doing the best to provide some content that may be relatable and helpful to you as you enter a new chapter. I mean, as cheesy as this is, the good thing about an ending is that there's always a beginning. And I know for me, did change jobs every two to three years. And that seemed risky to some people. But for me, I actually picked up a cornucopia of skills that have been able to help me so much that if I had just looked, worked at the same company for so long, I wouldn't have had 
However, if you work at the same company and you have five different jobs within that company, that's a different story. So with that, I highly suggest subscribing to Fraudology so that you are reminded when Tuesday's episode comes out and next Thursday's as well. I really would love to hear what you feel like I missed. What would you want to include on this list if you are giving advice to job seekers? What advice do you have for hiring managers? Because that is going to be a future episode as well. I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for being just such an amazing audience and group of humans. I am so grateful for all of you for tuning in. And I look forward to speaking with you more next week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.